me start off with a question. Have you ever felt rejected? Ever felt like, you know, hey, I got kind of got pushed off or overlooked or rejected in some way? Uh, I remember a specific event that happened in my life. I'm just going to be real open, honest, share it with you. Are you ready for that? Um, I, real open. I, uh, it was, this happened in middle school. Now, back in the day, when a guy liked a girl, he would, he would ask her to go with him. Did anybody remember that, go with me phrase? I don't, that really didn't mean anything because you weren't going anywhere, right? Most of the time, you couldn't even drive, right? You couldn't go anywhere, but, but that would be the phrase, hey, would you go with me? And that was really like saying, hey, would you be my girlfriend or my boyfriend or whatever? Well, uh, I remember a time in middle school when it was, a, it was at the high school or the middle school sock hop dance on Friday night. It was in the gym, gymatorium, whatever thing that was. And uh, I had my eye on this cute girl and I thought, man, I'd... I just really like her. And so I, at the right time, the right song, I, I stirred up all my courage. I invited her to uh, dance with me. And so we're standing out there, slow dance, and, and I'm looking her eye. And then I just went ahead, went all out. I mean, I just laid it out there. And I said, uh, you know, would, would you like to go with me, you know? And, uh, and, and she said the thing that every guy doesn't want to hear, and that is the friend response. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, we're such good friends or, you know, I hate to hurt our friendship, right? I just see you more as a friend. Might as well just stab a guy in the heart, right? Because that's, oh, that's like the biggest disappointment. So we kind of got through the dance and I kind of sat in the bleachers the rest of the evening and kind of licked my wounds. Um, I mean, it worked out okay. I married her several years later. So it was... (laughs) I mean, it worked out all right, but, but in the moment, it was, it was hard. You know, nobody likes to be rejected, right? Whether it's face-to-face, whether it's on social media, whether it's at the work or, at, you know, in a, in a, in a club or, or wherever. Nobody likes to be rejected, and yet the Bible tells us that God has a real heart for those who feel rejected, that God has a deep love for those that feel pushed out, that God loves the outsider, And uh, we're going to be in a series here for the next couple of weeks leading up to Easter, looking at different people that felt rejected in life, felt on the outside of life, and how Jesus interacted with them and showed grace and love and care for them. And so I want to show you a guy today that fit this description. So get your Bible out. Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be today. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one at your seat. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one as our gift to you. All right. Luke chapter 19. While you're turning there, let me just kind of set this up. Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem, and this is the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life on earth. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem there. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. Three days later, he's going to rise again from the dead, but he is headed toward Jerusalem, and he goes through a town of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a pivotal town. Jesus has been through this town many, many, many times as a young boy. In fact, Jesus lived in the northern part of Israel called the area of the Galilee, and Jerusalem was down in the southern or at least mid part. And so how his family would always travel is they would go, they would go down to the Jordan River Valley, and they would walk down the Jordan River Valley, then they would cut across to Jericho. And Jericho was kind of the last stop before you went to Jerusalem. 
There you would re replenish your supplies. You would get a big gulp. You'd gas up the suburban or do whatever you're going to do there. And then you would move from there up to Jerusalem. And it was about a 16-mile trek, literally straight uphill. It was very arduous, difficult climb from Jericho to Jerusalem, very treacherous uh, travel from there. And so that was the kind of normal spot to stop and, and get prepared before you made the final ascent to Jerusalem. And that's what Jesus was doing. He would, he'd come through here many times before, but now this was the last time. You could say this was his final ascent up into Jerusalem. And while he's coming into Jericho, he is, he is uh, surrounded by lots of people and uh, I mean, the crowds are swirling around him and there's like paparazzi all around him. And, and so there, there's a, a movement of Jesus coming into Jericho and everyone is aware of it. And Jesus is going to encounter a person who had lived most of his life on the outside. So let's look at, at this story. Uh, Luke chapter 19, uh, beginning at verse one. This is the word of God. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small of stature. And so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now stop here for just a minute. You can just circle the name Zacchaeus. That's really the main character in this story. We don't really know a lot about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. This is the only place in the Bible where his story appears. There's, he's not in any other book in the Bible. And so we really don't know much about him other than what we read right here. Uh, but there are some things we can learn about Zacchaeus. One is we know that Zacchaeus was a very powerful man. In uh, verse 2, it says he was a chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors in that day were really the pariah of society. Nobody really liked them. They were always categorized with like murders and thieves and tax collectors. They were all kind of ran around. If we were saying it today, we'd say, you know, they're kind of like uh, on the equivalent of, of human traffickers and drug dealers and pimps. I mean, that's kind of the crowd that they would be uh, 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 attracted to or the crowd they would run with. Nobody uh, liked tax collectors. I mean, after all, nobody likes to pay their taxes, right? Now, even still today, we're about to roll into tax season, and you're probably getting ready, emotionally prepared for that. Nobody really likes that. But paying taxes under Rome was a whole different thing. See, when the Roman Empire was growing, they funded the empire by conquering new territories and, and conquering new assets as they went along the way. But once they kind of ran out of people to conquer, then the people themselves had to sustain the empire financially. And so in that time, the economy became very uh, unsteady. unsteady. Uh, inflation went through the roof. Uh, the, the currency devalued down through the floor. Um, uh, taxation went crazy. Uh, people were being taxed on just about everything, so much so that, that, that people would have their property confiscated. Farmers couldn't even afford to farm anymore because they couldn't afford to pay the taxes. Uh, people were... Um, even to the point of desperation where some would even sell their own children to pay off their tax debt. I mean, it was a really oppressive, oppressive environment. And the Romans would come in, they would set up one person that was responsible for taking up all the taxes in a given geographical area. That would be the chief 
tax collector. That's where Zacchaeus comes in. He was not a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He had guys working for him. And basically the Romans said, you were required to take in this much revenue. Whatever you could take above that was your pay. And so these tax collectors would go out and shake people down. And then whatever they took in would rise to the top of the pyramid, which was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the guy taking in all the cash. He was the one in charge. He's the one that could foreclose on your house or take your uh, pension or could drain your college savings account. He was the one that, that had so much power that everyone feared him. He was a very, very powerful man. He was also uh, a very rich man, says there in verse 3. He was a rich man. Obviously, all this money was coming to him, and he was very, very loaded. He was very wealthy. He was extraordinarily wealthy. I mean, he lived in the nicest house in town. He drove the nicest chariots, right? Uh, the new model, right? He had, he had the vacation homes. He went on the fancy trips. He had servants that were around just to take care of his every need. He had, he had everything anybody would ever want. And yet, as he got wealthier and wealthier, the people got poorer and poorer. And he was incredibly hated. And people resented this man for what he did and what he stood for and how he abused them. Another thing we know about this guy is that he was, um, he was a short man, all right? Listen, I don't know how else to say it. Look at verse 3. He was small in stature. I guess you would say he was vertically challenged, right? That's how we'd say it today. He was a short man. We had a song for this growing up in church. If you were a little kid and you uh, grew up in church, you sang a song about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, he was a wee little man. I think those are fighting words. Don't you think somebody called you a wee little man? Think about Zacchaeus in heaven. When you get to heaven, you go, oh, I know you. Aren't you that Zacchaeus, that wee little man? He's going, yeah, yeah, I've heard it before, right? <laughs> he was a wee little man, but he was a little guy. I mean, he was, he was small in stature, you know? You could see his feet on the picture of his driver's license. I mean, he is a small little guy. You know, when I think of Zacchaeus, I think of what, what images come to mind? I think of uh, Danny DeVito, all right, think about him. Or maybe the mini-me of Dr. Evil, you know, maybe that was kind of what he was like. I don't know, maybe, maybe the king out of Shrek, remember the short little guy? This guy had a Napoleon complex, all right? He was a wee little man, all right? But, but in all seriousness, I, I think about uh, this guy because probably what happened, because he was so short, he was probably made fun of his whole life. I mean, you, you can't get through middle school with being made fun of you if you're that short, right? He was probably the last one picked. He was probably overlooked, no pun intended, all right? Think about it, it'll come to you. Uh, uh, he, was, he, was, uh, he was often probably made fun of and jokes and, 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 and kicked around and pushed around probably his whole life. And then now he, here he is and he's got power. Now, he, who's on top? Now, who's got the authority? And, and, and I, you know, there's a phrase that says, hurt people, hurt people. And I really think that's what was going on with Zacchaeus. I think he had been pushed around his whole life, and now he was in a place of power, and now he was going to use it. And he was going to get these people back for what they had done to him his whole life. He was a powerful, wealthy man, but he was also a searching man. In fact, if you look at it in verse 3, it says, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. All of his wealth, all of his power could not satisfy him. He had everything in life and yet nothing that really mattered. He was empty 
on the inside. And so we heard that Jesus was coming, this prophet, this man who could do miracles and this man who could forgive sins. And there was something inside of Zacchaeus that thought, maybe if I could see this Jesus, if I could encounter him, that something could change in my life. And so it says that Zacchaeus did two things, two things that older men should never, ever do, all right? One is run, and number two is climb trees, all right? There's a certain age in your life, guys, when you should no longer run. I may be on a treadmill, but beyond that, you should never run, right? And, and you certainly shouldn't climb trees. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing some pruning in my backyard and I'd had guys come in and prune some trees before and they would just climb up in the trees with the machete and start chopping them down. I thought, yo, I can do that. I used to climb trees, right? And so I started climbing up this tree and I thought, what on earth am I doing? Get on the ground now, all right? You're going to break something, you know? There's just a time when you don't climb trees anymore. You know, back in that day to be an older man and running an older man and trying to climb a tree was completely um, embarrassing, right? It was dishonoring. You would never, ever do that. I mean, just trying to picture Danny DeVito climbing a tree, all right? You don't want to see that. And that, that's exactly what Zacchaeus did. He uh, was so urgent to see Jesus, so desperate for something or somebody that he did what nobody would do. And as he climbed this tree, he had an encounter with Jesus. I want you to see what happened. Uh, look, at, look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You know, here's Jesus coming in. See all these people press against him. All these people wanting to see him, wanting to touch him, wanting to have an encounter with him. And he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus in this tree. And it's interesting what Jesus does. First off, he calls him by name. Zacchaeus. Everybody turns and looks, right? Zacchaeus, hey, come on down here. It, it, it's interesting, Jesus always does that. He calls people by name. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there was a day when Jesus called you by name. There was a day when maybe you heard the gospel and in your heart, you heard Jesus say you. There was a day when when I was a young boy and I heard the gospel message and, and it was as if Jesus called me by name in that moment I heard my name. He said, Craig, today is your day. Craig, today I've revealed myself to you. He calls you by name. Jesus called him by name. And then Jesus did something nobody else would ever do. Jesus offered friendship to Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, come on down. My, me and my whole posse, we're gonna come over to your place, all right? We're gonna just, uh, we're gonna eat it up today. It would be like saying, hey, I wanna hang out with you. Right, let's grab some lunch. Let's go get some coffee. Let's spend some time together. He was offering to be a friend to Zacchaeus. Now think about that. Zacchaeus didn't have any friends. Everyone talked about Zacchaeus. Nobody talked to Zacchaeus. Everybody wanted something from Zacchaeus, but nobody wanted to be his friend. And here is Jesus offering the very thing that Zacchaeus needed the most, and that was somebody to care for him. He called him by name, and he said, Zacchaeus, I wanna, I wanna spend time with you. I wanna be your friend. I wanna, I wanna be 
with you. And it said the minute that he did that, people started grumbling. Grumble, 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 right? Why is he going with him? Doesn't he know that guy's reputation? Don't you know what he did to my granddad? Don't you know how he sold out our business? Don't you know how he's treated everybody in this town? If there's anybody in this town that, that should be pushed away from Jesus, it's him. He's the guy that everybody hates and he's going to his house? And listen to me, anytime that you show grace and kindness to those that are on the outside, those that have been pushed out, those that have been pushed down, those that have been talked evil about, those that are, are not wanted, anytime you show grace to somebody like that, they are going to criticize you. What are you doing that? Why are you hanging out with them? Why are you going to lunch with them? That's going to hurt you and your business. Don't let anybody see you doing that. If you're going to hang out, if you're going to sit at that person with a lunch table, maybe you're not cool either. Maybe we should turn our backs on you. There will always be those that, that criticize. But listen, Jesus didn't care about what they said. Jesus just cared about Zacchaeus. And I want you to notice how Zacchaeus responded. Look at verse 8. It says, Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since all, he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In just a moment, Zacchaeus was changed. It's just this brief encounter with Jesus. I mean, it's really hard to explain, but in this brief moment, here was Zacchaeus, a man that was empty, a man that was lonely, a man that was an outsider, a man that was hated, a man that was despised, a man who had everything that he wanted and yet nothing that he really desired. This man, in a moment, was changed. From the moment, the, the time it took for him to get from the limb to the ground, his life was changed. His heart was changed in just an encounter with Jesus. You know, I really believe that people can change. I really do. I believe that people can change in a moment. I don't think that it always has to take, you know, decades of working hard to reform. I don't think it always comes in a long process. I think sometimes people can change in a heartbeat when they have an encounter with God. Every single week it happens. I'll see people every week and they'll bow their heads and in a moment of openness, when God is moving in their heart, Jesus will call their name and they'll raise their hand and they'll pray a prayer and they'll walk out a different person. I've known people in this church that could stand up and testify, man, you know, I was this way and I was so self-consumed. I was so driven by my business or I had hurt so many people and I felt so empty. And in a moment, God called my name and I was changed in a heartbeat. And listen, that may be you. You may be thinking, you know what? I can't change. I'm such a screw up. I messed up. I've hurt so many people. I, I've made such a mess in my family. I've, I've ruined so many uh, relationships. There's no way that I can change and you're wrong. In just a minute, from the moment it takes you to get from the limb to the ground, you can change. Not by your effort, but because God can change your heart. And that's what happened with Zacchaeus. In just a moment, God began to change his heart. And you can see, you can see the change in him. Look at what he does. It's so different. Number one, he, he confesses Jesus as Lord. He said, Lord, uh, if I have uh, done anything wrong, I'm going to make it right. He calls him Lord. That's really significant. This is, this is like a tectonic shift going on here. Because up to this point, Zacchaeus' life, he had always been Lord. 
Money had always been Lord. His career had always been Lord. Caesar had been Lord. Everything that mattered to him was wrapped around his position and his power and his money and his status. But now he was shifting authority to Jesus. See, that's what happens when a person truly gives their life to Christ. They're no longer in charge. When you truly give your life to Christ, you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. That is the fundamental declaration of the New Testament. Jesus is Lord. Christ is Lord. He's boss. He's my master. He's my new king. He's the one I'm living for. I no longer live for myself. I'm now living for a new authority in my life. Have you done that? Have you made Jesus Lord of your life? Is he really the most important authority in your life? Are you living to an audience of one? Zacchaeus had this traumatic change of lordship, seeing Jesus as Lord. And then he, he offers up restitution. He said, you know, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor. I mean, that's a lot of money, folks. If you were to give half of all that you own to the poor, that would be a substantial donation, right? That would be a big deal. I mean, if he's worth millions, millions of dollars are now flooding into Jericho's poor to take care of them. Whereas before he was hoarding and grabbing, hoarding and grabbing, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Now all of a sudden he's divesting, he's giving to the needy and the poor. What has happened to Zacchaeus? And then all of a sudden he's not only doing that, but he said, if I've defrauded anyone, I'll pay back four times. I mean, that was the, the most uh, Mosaic law required. And he said, I'll pay it back four times. Can you imagine the conversations happening in Jericho? Hey, honey, you know, uh, you know that mean old Zacchaeus guy that uh, you know, took our college fund? I just got a memo that said he's going to pay all of, all of our college debt. What's happened to Zacchaeus? Praise God. Yeah. Or, uh, hey, you know the guy that, that took our pension plan, honey? Well, he's, he, he's paid it back. He took 50K and he's putting in 200,000 now into our bank account. What has happened to Zacchaeus? Or, are you know, the guy that, uh, that guy that repossessed our Pinto? Well, he just left a Mercedes in the driveway with the, with the keys under the mat. <laughs> Praise God, you know? Yay, Team Jesus, you know? I mean, what has happened is that, can you imagine really the buzz in this whole community that he's given half of his money to the poor and he's repaying all these people back that he ripped off because he ripped off just about everybody and, and everybody sees the dramatic change. And here's what happens. Jesus sees his confession. He sees the restitution and he celebrates. He goes, salvation has truly come to this man's house. I mean, this guy, think of it. Who would have thought this guy with such a hard heart would be so now open that this man that nobody thought would ever change could change so quickly. And the whole town celebrated. You know, I want you to think about this for a minute. Think of all the people that would celebrate if you really gave your life to Jesus fully. Think of, think of how your family might celebrate if you as a husband were to say, you know, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. Or think about how your, um, your friends might celebrate and praise God. Think about how your in-laws or your family would celebrate. Think about how everyone in the business would see the difference in you and wonder what happened to him. He was so this way. She was so that way and now so changed, so different. You know, when, when people give their life to Christ at our church, we, we baptize them. We're going to do a big baptism on Easter Sunday. And, uh, man, when we baptize, we celebrate. We, we cheer, we shout, we 
we clap, we, we try to celebrate as big as we can. You know why? Because the Bible says that when one person comes to Christ, all of heaven celebrates. God wants to celebrate over you if you turn to him. And then Jesus kind of drops the mic on this final statement. I mean, everything is kind of built up to this one statement. This, the climax of the story now comes really at the very end of the story. Jesus makes this statement. He said, salvation has come to this man. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man, Jesus said, there's a reason why I came was to seek and to save people just like this. He said, the whole reason why I came, the reason why I'm going to Jerusalem, the reason why I'm going to die is not for the religious not for the people that have their act together, not the people that, that check all the boxes and, and follow all the rules. I really come for people that are on the outside, that are hurting, that have been hurt, that have hurt others, that have a past, that have looked for significance and so many other things. I really come to restore the rejected. See, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to restore the rejected. Now, if that's true, if Jesus came to restore the rejected, then what does that mean for you and for me? Let me give you two things very quickly. First thing is this. If he came to restore the rejected, then if you're a follower of Jesus, then you need to be an agent of restoration. That as you walk as Jesus walked, as you live as Jesus did, that we need to have our eyes open for those in our life that are on the outside. Who are the people in your office that you feel like, you know, man, they're, they're, they're too high level to really even talk about spiritual. Oh man, they got their act together. They live in the best neighborhood. They drive the nicest car. They've accomplished everything. Surely they don't have any need for God. And yet you don't have any idea what happens behind closed doors, do you? You think, oh, well, they, they're the popular kid in town or they're the, they're the president of our fraternity or sorority or they, they've got everything. They're the, they're the head of the football team or the, they're such a great athlete. They don't have any problems in their world. They would have no need for God and yet you don't have any idea how lonely they are. Or maybe you turn it the other way. Maybe who are the people that you know that are pushed out and overlooked and discarded and act like you don't wanna hang around those people. What if you were to do what Jesus did, and that is to see them, to call them by name, to offer to be a friend? What, what difference would that make? Maybe you would maybe you'd take a risk. Maybe people would go, why are you doing that, man? Why, don't hang around with them. Why, why are you doing that? That's going to that's gonna ruin your career, man. Don't hang out with them. That's going to ruin your reputation. But what if God had put you in their life? to be an agent of restoration? What if they've been praying every night, God, show me if you're real. What if God put you as a follower of Jesus there to touch them? That student that's in your class, that client that's coming to you this week, that person that you're encountering on a casual conversation, what if God put them in your path this week so that you could tell them that they matter to God? Listen, if we're gonna follow Jesus, we need to be an agent of restoration. We need to live as Jesus lived, to love them, to be a friend, to call them by name, invite them to church, invite them to Easter. You know, another thing that this tells us is if Jesus came to restore the rejected, then that means that you can be restored too. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, 
You may say, you know, Craig, I've tried my whole life to climb up the ladder to, to really prove myself successful, to prove that I'm worth something, to, to prove that I'm of value. And now that I've got there, I realize that, you know, I've got all this stuff, but I feel so empty on the inside. I don't feel like I'm right with God. I don't think I'm really right with people. I think I've accomplished some things, but I don't know that I ever really feel like I'm whole on the inside. What you need is something this world cannot give. You see, we're all outsiders until we come to Jesus. We're all outsiders. We're all outside God's family. We're outside God's grace. But Jesus came to restore you and to change you. And listen, you may be here today and you're here for this one reason, because God wants to deal with you. He's calling you by name. He wants to change you on the inside. He wants to make you a new person. He wants to fill you with joy and with peace and with assurance that only Jesus can do. But it's the choice that you have to make. Zacchaeus had to choose either to come to Jesus or to stay at a distance. And you have to make that same choice. Are you gonna come to Jesus and let him change you? Are you gonna keep him at arm's length? Listen, Jesus came to restore the rejected and he came for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to change you. He wants to use you. But you've got to come to him.